welcome to the talk show for talkers on irishtalkers.com. Welcome to part two of this week's talk show for talkers here on irishtalkers.com. And as I mentioned at the beginning of the last section, we have an interview with Simon Sinek. And it's entitled How to Make an Impact. Now, this was, I think, originally published as a guide for students, but it has great relevance, I think, for all of us. So sit back and enjoy, and we'll maybe have a brief comment at the end. Everything you want, you can have instantaneously. Everything you want, instant gratification, except job satisfaction and strength of relationships. There ain't no app for that. They are slow, meandering, uncomfortable, messy processes. And so I keep meeting these wonderful, fantastic, idealistic, hardworking, smart kids. They've just graduated school. They're in their entry-level job. And I sit down with them and I go, how's it going? They go, I think I'm gonna quit. I'm like, why? They're like, I'm not making an impact. I'm like, you've been here eight months. <laughs> it's as if they're standing at the foot of a mountain and they have this abstract concept called impact that they wanna have in the world, which is the summit. What they don't see is the mountain. I don't care if you go up the mountain quickly or slowly, but there's still a mountain. And so what this young generation needs to learn is patience. That some things that really, really matter, like love, or job fulfillment, joy, love of life, self-confidence, a skill set, any of these things, all of these things take time. Sometimes you can expedite pieces of it, but the overall journey is arduous and long and difficult. And if you don't ask for help and learn that skill set, you will fall off the mountain. Do you love your wife? Yes. Right? Prove it. Like, what's the metric? Give me the number that helps me know, right? Because when you met her, you didn't love her, right? Now you love her, right? Tell me the day the love happened. It's an impossible question, right? But it's not that it doesn't exist. It's that it's much easier to prove over time. Right? So all leadership is the same thing. It's about transitions. So if you were to if you were to go to the gym, right? It's like exercise, right? If you go to the gym and you work out and you come back and you look in the mirror, you will see nothing. And if you go to the gym the next day and you come back and you look in the mirror, you will see nothing. Right? <laughs> so clearly there's no results, can't be measured, it must not be effective. So we quit. Right? Or if you fundamentally believe that this is the right course of action and you stick with it, like in a relationship, I bought her flowers and I wished her happy birthday and she doesn't love me. Clearly I'll give up, you know? That's not what happens. If you, if you believe there's something there, you commit yourself to act, an act of service. You commit yourself to the regime, the exercise. You can screw it up. You can eat chocolate cake one day. You can skip a, skip a day or two. You know, you, 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 it allows for that. But if you stick with it consistently, I'm not exactly sure what day, but I know you'll start getting into shape. I know it. And the same with the relationship. It's not about the events. It's not about intensity. It's about consistency, right? You go to the dentist twice a year, your teeth will fall out. You have to brush your teeth every day for two minutes. What does brushing your teeth twice a day for two minutes do? Nothing, unless you do it every day, twice a day for two minutes. Right? It's the consistency. Going to the gym for nine hours does not get you into shape. Working out every day for 20 minutes gets you into shape. 
So the problem is we treat leadership with intensity. We have a two-day offsite. We invite a bunch of speakers. We give everybody a certificate. You're a leader, right? <laughs> Those things are like going to the dentist. They're very important. They're good for reminding us or getting us back on track, learning new lessons. But it's the daily practice of all the monotonous, little, boring things like brushing your teeth that matter the most. She didn't fall in love with you because you remembered her birthday and bought her flowers on Valentine's Day. She fell in love with you because when you woke up in the morning, you said good morning to her before you checked your phone. She fell in love with you because when you went to the fridge to get yourself a drink, you got her one without even asking. She fell in love with you because when you had an amazing day at work and she came home and she had a terrible day at work, you didn't say, yeah, 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 but let me tell you about my day. You sat and listened to her awful day and you didn't say a thing about your amazing day. This is why she fell in love with you. I can't tell you exactly what day, and it was no particular thing you did. It was the accumulation of all of those little things that she woke up one day and is, as if she pressed a button, she goes, I love him, right? Leadership is exactly the same. There's no event. There's no thing I can tell you you have to do that your people will trust you. It just doesn't work that way. It's, the, it's an accumulation. Of, of lots and lots of little things that anyone by themselves is innocuous and useless. Literally, pointless by themselves. People will look at little things that are good leadership practices and say, that won't work, and you're absolutely right. But if you do it consistently, and you do it in combination with lots of other little things, mm. like saying good morning to someone, that looking them in the eye. My friend George, who's a three-star general in the Marine Corps, he says his test for leadership, and I love this, he goes, his test for le a good leader is if you ask somebody how their day is going, you actually care about the answer. Yeah. Right? The number of times we're walking to a meeting, we're rushing, we go, how are you? Not good, I gotta got get to you later, I got, I'm late for a meeting. Right. If you ask the question, you are standing there and you're listening to the answer. It's those little innocuous things that you do over and over and over and over that people will say, I love my job. Not I like my job. I like my job means, yeah, the challenge is great, they pay me well, I like the people. I love my job means, I don't want to work anywhere else. I don't care how much somebody else will, is willing to pay me. I'm devoted to the people here, and I care desperately about the people here as if they were my family. In business, we have colleagues and coworkers. In the military, they have brothers and sisters. That's how they think of each other, right? If you really have a strong corporate culture, the people will think of each other like brothers and sisters, it's like a family, right? No, brothers and sisters. Deep love, fight, but the love doesn't go away, right? Bicker, the love doesn't go away. And I'll fight with my sister, but if you threaten my sister, you're gonna have to deal with me, right? Right? We'll fight internally, we'll bicker with each other, but nobody's gonna hurt each other, and if anything from the outside shows up, you gotta, you're looking at a unified front. Brothers and sisters. Now, how do you create brothers and sisters out of strangers? common beliefs, common values, you know, parents, in other words, executives who care about their children's success, who care to raise their children, teach them skills, discipline them when necessary, help them build their self-confidence so that they can go on and achieve something more than you could have ever imagined achieving for yourself. That's leadership, an absolute love and devotion for the people who've committed their lives to this enterprise. That's such a brilliant reframe. It's so simple and so beautiful and... And unbelievably hard work. It is and it isn't. Here's, here's why it is. 
You said it. It's hard to measure, right? It's hard for me to show. It's hard to measure in the short term. It's very easy to measure in the long term. Over the long term, the traditional metrics will go up. All your revenues, profits, market share, the traditional metrics will go up, and more importantly, they'll go up more stably, right? You will be able to weather hard times better because the people will come together. They won't abandon ship, right? Um, in the over the long term, the traditional metrics are just fine. But also over the long term, your churn will go down, right? You won't be going through employees as much, right? Over the long term, you'll find that loyalty is much higher. That people will turn down better-paying jobs, right? Over the long term, all the traditional metrics are just fine, and then some. It's only the short term that it's hard to measure. Yeah, I'm gonna say though, there's something in between those two, in the middle, to know because with working out. So to use your analogy. Mm-hmm. Um, if you had to go to the gym for six months before you saw any sign of change, no one would do it, right? And there are so many variables in working out. The number one thing is to know who to listen to. The number one thing is to know what to look for, right? So if you don't experience muscle fatigue, you're probably doing something different. That's immediate, right? I know that the next day. If you experience muscle fatigue and don't notice any change within a few weeks, you're probably not eating right. So there really are things that you can look at because you're doing the damage to the muscle, but you're not giving your body the nutrients that you need to actually yeah. build. Well, that's the, the all that's back up. all that's still true. So I'm I'm sitting here thinking, can it really be as simple as like I have a great growing belief that part of what you could write down as a leader's job is to connect. Now, how do we connect? Mm-hmm. You've given some very simple examples and they're all incredibly real. Asking somebody how their day is and actually waiting to hear the answer and caring about what the answer is. Time spent together, right? I couldn't have a very effective relationship with my wife if there actually isn't time together. And one of the things that, that I have personally struggled with is as the organization has grown, just time with any individual g- becomes more and more difficult. Mm-hmm. And so then you start focusing on, okay, wait, it's just about creating the environment. But as you lose touch with um, the real sense of like, I know this person and I can see when they're having a bad day and really leveraging like what we have as humans and this is why your teachings are so powerful is you, you wrap it in the truth of the human experience. You wrap it in how humans really connect like uh, looking at each other, sensing that like, hey, this is either hitting or it's not like, all of that stuff is super, super real. And as an organization, to be able to find ways in that middle ground where it's like, I'm pretty sure this is working and I really believe in it at a macro level. But I just wanna know, because there's so many paths, right? And you could nudge sort of one way or the other to create something that, um, and maybe it's as simple as, here's one, I'm, I'm using this right now. The amount of laughter I hear in the office. Maybe that's dumb, I don't know. But I'm, I'm really doing it. And I really think all day, like how much laughter have I heard today? And I feel like when everyone is making, an, uh, to really taking an effort to connect with each other, to provide empathy and all that, there's a lowering of people's defenses and just a sort of natural outpouring of that is, is joking around. And so you hear this laughter bubble. And when things get really tense and stressful, I literally feel like you could have a decibel meter and just feel it. Mm-hmm. coming down. Yeah, I mean, look, it's it's a human it's a human thing. So, just as you know how your body feels after a good workout and you know how your body feels after a big greasy meal, you know, you you know that one is good for you and one is not, you know, despite what it may taste like. Um, um, and that's the problem with short-term gains, right? They feel really good in the short term. So it's, it's, you're, we're highly, highly, highly trained social animals. We're highly adapted social animals. You know, we, we can feel social awkwardness and we can feel when things are going well. You know, we, you can sense it. You say you have this sense of laughter, you know, around the office. Like, we're not 
we're not, we don't walk around with blinders. We're, you know, we're, like I said, we're, we're made to do this. You know, that's why we can assess if somebody's trustworthy or not. You know, that's why we keep our walls and we're like, oh, I don't know, yeah, yeah, his results are great, but I, I wouldn't trust him, right? You know, as opposed to letting down your belief, like, I trust her for anything. I trust her with my kids, my money, anything, you know? Um, so, uh, so we're highly attuned animals and so we're, we're good at sensing it. But I will say there is a caveat to, to, your, to your metric of laughter, which is a, a decent one, um, is that scale breaks things. Right? in human beings. As I said before, we're not made for populations bigger than about 150-ish. It's called Dunbar's number. Robin Dunbar, a professor from Cambridge University, theorized that we cannot maintain more than 100, about, about 150 close relationships. And the way he defined a close relationship is if you're at a bar with a bunch of friends and somebody comes in, would you ask that person to join you or not? And we, it's about 150 that we would ask them to come join us. And if you think about the reason, that actually makes perfect sense, which is there's two limiting factors. One is time. If you only gave two minutes to every person you know, you'd make no close friends. And the other one is memory. You just can't remember everybody. And so this is where leadership becomes very, very interesting. Because if you have a company that has a lot of people, five, six, seven, eight hundred people, a thousand, two thousand, five thousand people, Clearly, you can't know everyone. And clearly, as a CEO, like, I care about every single one of my people. You don't even know. Some of the people you work for are real, who work for you are bastards. You don't care about them, <laughs> right? So it's a, nonsense, it's a nonsense statement, right? right? But what you can say is, I desperately care about the people whose names I know and whose faces I recognize. And I care desperately about my leadership and I instill in them every day that I will give them the tools and I will take care of them with one purpose and one purpose only, that they will take care of the people in their charge. And I want those people to take care of the people and instill in them that they take care of the people in their charge. And then by the time you get down to the masses, where the actual thousand exist, because right. of the seniors, it's like 20, sure. right? Where the real thousand exist, they feel about 150 of them can look to one of their direct leaders, to one of their direct managers and say, that person cares about me. Mm. That's our boss, that's my boss, that's my leader. Not the leader, it's the, it's the CEO. That's my manager, my boss, my leader. Okay, Paul, do you have any thoughts on that? The one point I'd like listeners to take away and offer to you, Moira, is that the first half of that recording may be a really good pitch for Toastmasters in the sense that the Toastmasters method of learning to be a leader is slow. It is completely different from going on a training course as Sinek referred to. So it's a very powerful argument in favor of the Toastmasters way of developing leaders. I agree. I agree. Certainly the first half of it was more interesting and more appropriate. But the whole thing was, I think, very inspirational. We'll bring this section to a close and we'll bring you back tomorrow at the same time, hopefully, when Paul will be talking about audiences. Well, audience size. We'll see you then. The Talk Show for Talkers is published every week in sections at 4pm every Friday, Saturday, Sunday and Monday. Go to our website irishtalkers.com for more information.